0: Hey there, this is Pam Perry. So we have a special show today. We have Dean Jackie Jones on today and she has an illustrious career in journalism for real. And I'm just so excited to talk with her. We were almost having like a show before the show, but I will bring her back right after this. Read you a little bit about why I'm so excited.
1: to hear how to get booked on media places and on superstar stages. Now, here's your host, Pam Perry.
0: Hey there. So let me tell you why I'm so excited about Dean Jackie Jones. For one, she's the Dean of School of Global Journalism and Communication at the HBCU, Morgan State University. Uh, And she is really, she's a, a veteran newswoman who's worked at a variety of capacity in newsrooms around the country, including the Baltimore Evening Sun, the Detroit Free Press, which is where I work, uh, New York uh, Newsday, Philadelphia Daily News, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, the Washington Post. And then while she was at the New York Newsday, she was a member of the newsroom team that won a Pulitzer Prize in 1992 on spot news coverage big deal. Okay. She also served as the board of directors of NABJ. You know, I talk about that all the time. We had Greg Lee on not too long ago. I love all of my NABJ uh, members and friends and represented NABJ on uh, accrediting council of education in journalism and mass communication for more than 25 years. In addition, she worked as a senior lecturer at Penn State University and has taught as an adjunct professor on several institutions, including New York, Wayne State, woo-hoo, and Howard University. As a chair, uh, Jones has overseen the development department's digital newsroom, as a creator of student training in emerging and re- in reporting opportunities on multiple stages, from the coverage of disturbances in Baltimore in the wake of the death of Freddie Gray to Maryland election coverage reporting from Cuba and Greece. Um, MMJ ends Morgan. Morgan's most notable uh, reports include a multimedia report on Baltimore's youth curfew law and report on sexual assault on campus. Uh, Bridging Selma and the broken plate and collaborations between SGJC and uh, West Virginia's University's Reed College of Media are part partnerships looking at social justice issues on a national scale. And so she has really been what I call around the block for a while. (laughs) 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 Oh, I just, I just love you. Thank you, Dean Jackie, for just being a part of um, Get Out There Get Known podcast because one of the things that I wanted to have, I was chasing her down for her so many times is that I one, you have such a lustrous career. So when you look at what you were doing back in the 80s as an African American woman in a newsroom, there weren't a lot of us. And you look at like 30 years later, it's still not a lot, but we're more needed than ever. And so we were talking about a mutual friend that we had was Susan Watson.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Susan Watson, I'll tell you a story now about Susan Watson. So when I was in college, I was in the journalism school at Wayne State. And uh, one of the things that I had heard that there was this Black woman who was a city editor at the Detroit Free Press. I'm like, what? I was like, I must meet her and interview her because at the time I was working at the South End. So I go down there and I get get on the phone and Susan says, okay, sure, come on in. So I get on the phone and she's talking, I'm interviewing her and I put on my tape recorder because we had these cassette tapes and I hit it and I start, it starts playing and I'm asking her questions thinking I'm all big time and she looks at me, she says, are you going to take notes? I said, no, i am got it on tape. She says, listen, you need to pull out that pad of paper get out of luck if that thing, when you get home and you don't have And I'm like 20 years. I was like, "Okay, ma'am." I was like, "Oh my God!" You know. But when she when she said it, I was like, "I just love her. She is hard as nails, but just so good and so sweet." So she's gone on to be in glory right now. You know, she she passed several years ago, but she was the one that really was a mentor to me, um, and also. You tell us your Susan Watson story as well.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, there's just that the Susan was so straightforward and, and uh, she hired me um, when the, the Washington Star uh, folded in 1981. Susan was city editor. and She came to, to, to DC and interviewed a bunch of us and she ended up hiring me to work for her. And I remember one day somebody was just giving her the blues about an assignment, like, ah, I don't want to do this. And you know, this makes no sense. And, you know, just going on and on. And so she said, so you'll be going. And then I want you to do this and call me when you get there. Thank you. <laughs> she just, like, as if they has not said a word, she just dispatched them. And her mm-hmm. other line, because back then newspapers were were more robust and more of them in circulation. And so she would always say, if someone complained, there are 2,500 other newspapers in the United States. And I'm sure there's one where you will be happy.
0: <laughs> I loved it. I mean, when she said that to me, Dean Jackie, when she said that to me, I was like, oh, my God. I was like, she says, you can be shit out of luck if you get home in that thing. You don't get <laughs> take I was yeah. like, OK, ma'am. And it would have it. That was in 80 whatever year. You probably had just passed. So I graduated from in 83. So it would have it. I would work at the Free Press. So mm-hmm. I was working in the advertising department and also doing some stringing as well. So I would see her from time to time and that sort of thing. And she would always laugh. She says, yep, you finally realized you got to pull that fan out, right? I <laughs> said, yes, yes, ma'am, I sure do, I sure do. So tell us about your career. And right now you're at Morgan State, you're the dean of, it's a, the long title of the global journalism and this and that. But the, the main thing is that you are really focusing on the issues that are really for obviously it's the HBCU, but one of the main things you're focusing on ethics, um, international journalism, a lot of things that have to do with the, the social climate from today as well. So, you know, you would think, you know, coming out of the 80s, we're first generation of like a lot of blood of African Americans coming into journalism. And now we've got, you know, we're covering stuff like the Buffalo shooting and and, and all those kinds of things. white supremacy is on the rise. And it's like, where do you see the, the role, I guess you would say, for journalists today versus where they were back then and versus now?
2: Yeah, I think there are a couple of things that, that are, are, are at play. One is um, uh, getting the public trust. I think that there have been people who have been very successful in, in diminishing the value that the public puts in news media. And we have not done a good job of distinguishing ourselves from the other trap that's out there uh, they they look professional they look uh, uh like a, a a news anchor they sound serious they have the right tone they have mastered all of that the the look and the sound and so people just kind of go with something that sounds reasonable to them i was i was telling uh Dwayne wickham who was our founding dean and and, and my you know obviously my predecessor in the job mm-hmm. and i said think about it if um white people are currently afraid or a group of white people, let me not put all of them in the same Mm -hmm. boat, um, uh, have bought into this replacement theory. And you think about Roe v. Wade. And if it is um, uh, thrown out, we know it's already been established that black and brown people are going to be the most directly impacted by Mm -hmm. the decision. Mm -hmm. So if I think... That you're replacing me, why would I fight to overturn a law that would allow more of you to be born <laughs> to replace me? Right. You know, right. just just the logic of that on the face of it that that tells you what you're dealing with. So so trying to get folks to say, all right, let me think more logically. Let me listen to what they have to say. Let me uh, uh, see. Uh, a more balance and and more thought is kind of not on the on the front burner right now. So so we've got that big job in front of us for that. For our students, I think the same things that we went through when we were in school and when we first came into newsrooms still apply. You still have to justify yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You still have to be uh, better. better. <laughs> it's better. Um, I'm know, with it. And there's nothing wrong with being better. Yeah. You know, yeah. if if the goal is someday we're all going to be kind of evaluated on the content of our character, our performance, the things that we know to do, if you're better at it, you know. But in the meantime, it, it, it also uh, it behooves us to be better because we need to know these things. We can't be cavalier about information. We can't be cavalier about sourcing. Uh, we, uh-huh. have a, a, um, we're, we have a NPR affiliated station here in school and we have. Uh, students. Now it's a learning lab. And so we have students who are training to be on the air. And so we have a a student newscast that runs Monday through Friday uh, that's hosted, anchored by a student. And we have student reporters contributing. Uh, We have them co-hosting shows. We've got one student who has their own music show uh, in the evening after the newscast. And so they're learning to be board operators and and learning to, to work with the operations director Uh, They are working with underwriting uh, to figure out how to help brand and market Mm -hmm. and and raise money for the station. So Mm -hmm. whatever your major is, whether you're multi-platform production, which are kind of the the behind-the-scenes folks mostly, Mm -hmm. uh, strategic communication, which is PR, advertising, marketing, Mm -hmm. or multimedia journalism, Mm -hmm. we are teaching you across all platforms and we're giving you hands-on experience in in a real-world setting. I and so that. we were having a discussion about sourcing and making sure that information you share with the public is credible. We call ourselves the voice of the community. So mm-hmm. the, the assumption is the community is coming to us for news and information and we better be sure it's right. Yeah. And making sure that when we, even for gossip, if, if you tell me that uh little Nas X uh, was seen uh, uh, romancing a woman and folks are like, Oh my God, where did you get that from?
0: Three sources. <laughs> yeah, these
2: three sources. And who the How do they know? How are they in a yeah. position to know? This? Twitter isn't one of them. Yeah, and and you know neither is Google. Although right. my youngest granddaughter likes to call it the Google, she tells her mom, she says, "I want to go to the Google to look things cool. up." So, oh but but the idea is to to know that you've got reliable sources, and over time people will see, yeah, they got that right. They got that right. They got that right. That's Mm -hmm. what we're training them for. We're training them for a world that's bigger than themselves. A lot of our students come from the uh, D.C., Maryland, Virginia area of Delaware. Mm -hmm. Many of them have not been outside of the region. A lot of the kids who are from Baltimore haven't even been outside of the city. Mm
1: -hmm. And so
2: when we take them on reporting trips around the country and abroad, they're beginning to see what we try to explain to them, you you have a feeling about how people cover your community and whether they get you and whether they understand you. Well, here's your opportunity to go into a community and come back and explain to people what goes on there mm-hmm. and and what are those folks thinking and, and why do they do what they do? And, and, you know, sort of not just parachuting in when there's when something is wrong, but making sure that you understand the complexity of what you're getting into all of that's part and parcel of what we're trying to, to create here at the school.
0: I love that. I love the fact that they're doing the hands-on information. They're in the, uh, Morgan State is in Baltimore. So you've got uh, the NPR there, which is there. And then also too, not too far from you is uh, Howard University, another HBCU. Mm -hmm. And I happen to have on this particular show, Gracie Lawson, that was, uh, you probably know Gracie as well. And so, you know, she's from Detroit. She went to Cass Tech. Mm -hmm. Uh, So know her as well. And knowing the work that you all are doing Um, just really just warms my heart because so many times of the authors and speakers that I work with now as a publicist, that they just want to be in the media and they really don't um, like to approach the journalists directly and they can it, it used to be that conduit where the it would have to be from a publicist and we would have to do the pitch and write the release but now people can do that themselves so what i'm finding now is that the mmjs and all of that they're on social media they they're pretty much approachable you could dm them you can do you know you can follow them on twitter you can send them an instagram message but one of the things that um if you had to say to someone who wanted to pitch a story what is it that you find that people are doing wrong if they wanted to uh, get a story or uh, be a source or even you know help a reporter you know shape a story. What are they doing wrong when they're pitching or approaching journalists, MMJ, whoever it is?
2: TV. I think one of the big things that that folks do wrong is they tell us what the story is. Ah. Well, you don't tell a reporter that you don't you don't tell me this is the story and I have to write it this way. <laughs> You may want me to do that. You can probably lead me or persuade me to do that. But you, what you're not going to do is tell me. <laughs> you're there not going you to order me. Yes. So yes. you've got to, you know, what? Is, why is this important? You know, and and answer the questions. Why uh, if is this an important? event? Make mm-hmm. sure that I have all the details to um, to be there on time. The location. The phone number, the phone number of someone I can call if I get there and I say I'm Jackie Jones from the Detroit Free Press, and they say, Man, You're not on this list, you're not gonna get in. I gotta be able to call somebody to say, Hey, I'm, I'm out here at the door, and they're telling me I can't come in. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You'd be surprised how many people leave that kind of stuff out. Oh my god, just the yeah. basic how to get there, directions. Checking in with me. Do you need anything? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, do you have directions? Do Do you have have my number, my cell number, just in case? Whatever it is. Um, the, then, what, the who, what, the who, what, when, where, why, and yeah. how. Right. Yeah. The basic. Exactly. What's What's the event about? You know, why is this important? Um, uh, if it is, uh, uh, you know, who are the key people I should talk to? Don't restrict me from talking to anybody, but make sure that they um, You always have. You either have a client or the head of the organization or somebody or or someone whose story is illustrative of the point you're trying to make, mm-hmm. I should definitely meet that person. The sort. And so, mm-hmm. you know, just to get me started, you know, you meet me at the door when I get there and, and you kind of introduce me to one or two people and then like let me know if you need me, just shoot me a text and then I'm off to the races. Make sure I have the background. I, I need to know the background of the organization. Oh my God. Um, back sheet.
0: Give people why it back does, sheet. yeah.
2: All of that kind of stuff. That mm-hmm. those are, and they all seem it all seems really basic. But I think sometimes people get so comfortable that they just kind of put it out there and say, okay, well, call me up if you got questions or if you feel like, you know, if you want to know more. And it's like, eh, well, you're not working real hard at this. I don't think this no. is that big a deal. And then it gets set to the side. And then people mm-hmm. are offended. You know, there's a limited number of people in a newsroom and an editor has to make decisions for multiple stories every day. And so Mm -hmm. you are deciding uh, where I am going to assign reporters. And so I've got to make a choice between event A and event B. The one that gives me the most information, the background, the the access, the, the, the contact information is more likely to get the coverage. And so, you know, you develop a relationship. Don't just right. randomly uh, uh, call any reporter. Make sure that the reporter covers the area that, that you represent. I think that's where most people
0: don't really take the time to do. Like yeah. follow like maybe the last three or four stories that the reporter has written. Yeah. I mean, it's really, it's online. You can see their byline. You can kind of know if they're writing about that kind of stuff.
2: Exactly. And
0: and and that is that, that that's what I call a lot of times people just assume they're so lazy when it comes to really doing that research. And th- we were talking about a mutual friend that we had, Cassandra Spratling. Mm-hmm. Right. So Cassandra was like the lifestyle reporter and she just loved doing these people stories and things like that. She actually wrote a story uh, on me when I was getting married because we were the first African-American couple to get married at the home builder flower show <laughs> and she actually came there and she did that story and i was like she was at our wedding like you know like in the back before i actually went walking down the aisle she was there with her little notepad and just saying like how did you all get this and how did you win this wedding and that sort of thing but cassandra you would know that she's writing these human interest stories mm-hmm. i'm not gonna pitch her like a, a a product story or you know she's gonna take a human interest story so just knowing her be uh, she's retired now, kind sort of, kinda, but but I know the reason why she got into journalism. She was an excellent writer and she was very observant. What's your why? Why have you been in it so long and why do you still have this passion about it, I guess you would say? What what, what sparks you in it or who sparks you into it?
2: I think the people's stories are, are the things I want to, I always want to know what's going on. Okay. And, and then I, I want to know why and I want to know. Well, you know, well, who said that and, and why is that important? And, and so the, the why is always the thing that's going to get me and make me pay attention to something and try to go a little deeper, go a little, little uh, farther with it. I'll tell you, I taught uh, as an adjunct off and on at, at Howard uh, mm-hmm. uh, for several years. And um, Shaquille Brewster, who's on MSNBC, was one of my students. Mm-hmm. And he was wonderful. First of all, he was a wonderful writer, so he could write on any platform. Uh, but he was naturally curious so i gave this this class uh, an assignment to cover a meeting you know just get practice going to like a zoning board meeting or school board meeting or whatever and whatever the topic was uh someone referenced the school board and he got curious and so the school board meeting was the next night and our class wasn't until the day after that so he had an extra day to work on the story so on his own he went to the school board meeting and then he found some people to interview and he talked to all these people and he came back. And when I asked the students to talk about their stories and, and present them, he talked about being curious and going after uh, more people and all of that. And this one student leaned over and he said, man, what are you doing? We do not have to do all that. You're making the rest of us look bad. And, and Shaq he said, curious. he said, I'm not trying to make anybody look bad. I just want to know. And, and so I was that student. I just wanted to know. And mm-hmm. and I liked knowing what I talked about. So if I was going to be, if I saw you at a party and you asked me what I was working on, I was excited about what I was doing, and I wanted to be able to speak with authority about the subject. I was going to read, I was going to research, I was going to talk to extra people. I always knew more about the story than I needed to know for the uh, 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 for the report. Mm-hmm. And and I tell students, you need the information because it helps you figure out what the story is, how much you need to tell. Um, it's it's like a film. You make a movie. There's tons of stuff on the cutting room floor. Tons. You know. So you the more you know, the easier the story is to write because then you can make some decisions as opposed to trying to cram a bunch of stuff in and make it look like you know. And for broadcast students, I tell them. You always have to be prepared to answer the next two or three questions. If you're doing a stand up somewhere and your anchor starts asking you questions after you finish, they're Mm -hmm. either killing time or they have an opportunity to stretch the story a little bit. And if you only stuck to a really narrow focus and they're asking you questions and you can't answer them, I said, Your stupidity is apparent in front of millions of people. an embarrassing thing like oh my god so you need more information in order to,
0: to deliver your two minute story yeah. right you're gonna need to have done like a couple of hours or three or four hours of research digging that story out for your two or three minutes so that you can just just in case they ask you more or it stretches out for even more
2: yeah and so, you gotta also listen because people will say things that are just positively stunning and Oftentimes, when you're thinking of what your next question is, you didn't hear the thing to make you pivot and say, oh, my goodness, why did you do that? Mm-hmm. You know, um, mm-hmm. tell me more or, or, um, well, how did you get from from this place to that place? Sometimes that's better than the rest of the questions you were going to ask. And mm-hmm. so um, uh, we were laughing earlier about having three sources for a story. At least three. At least Always three. three. And students will go out and the first thing they do is they talk to the first three people so the first person may give them a pretty decent interview the next person says i don't want to talk to you and then the third person (laughs) gives you a little bit but you you, it sounds kind of sketchy and so then they'll come back and that's all they have they said well you said talk to three people i said i said three interviews if i talk to you and i ask you your name and you say pam and you don't give me your last name you can't turn in a story that says pam said (laughs) Like, well, who is Pam? What does she do? I don't know. She wouldn't give me your last name. Then that's not a source you can use. Mm -hmm. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, again, because you and I have been at this for a minute. Mm
0: -hmm. It it,
2: it seems like the obvious thing is to ask somebody their last name, to ask them uh, uh, what they do or where they're from or or how they're in a position to know what they know. But it it has to be trained. It's not an automatic thing. you have to ask questions that you might not normally ask someone. If I met you at a party and you were telling me about your new house, you don't know me from Adam. So I'm not going to ask you how much you paid for your house. Now, if I'm doing a story about you buying this house or going into foreclosure or bankruptcy, then I've got to ask you a bunch of nosy questions. How much did the house cost? How much Mm -hmm. money do you make? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did you really think you could afford that note? (laughs) You know, that's, those are the, the
0: those are the real main things. Yeah. I always felt when I was at Wayne and I was majoring in journalism. One of the the main things that was a class that I it was like we had to take it. It was ethics, right? We had to take it. It's like, oh, I just want to write. I don't want to know about. I want. I don't. And and media law. So mm-hmm. ethics is one of the things that I think because journalism is quote unquote citizen journalism now, right? Mm-hmm. We got the citizen journalism where there's no such thing as really. Uh, ethics, so to speak, because you just have your camera, you got your microphone, you're out here, you're just saying whatever. And I even see some of the things we call it editorializing, right? It's like, okay, you're ed- editorializing. And I remember I would turn in the story sometimes and the, and the instructor would send it back and says, you're editorializing. Where's the, where's the fact factual hmm. information for that? It's like, uh, you know, and it was always those things that stuck with me. So let's talk about ethics really today in terms of how to really get People to understand that because the Washington Post and all the places that you went to, Milwaukee and 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 things like that, Detroit Free Press ethics is really really key. Being subjective is really really uh, being objective is very very key. You can't be subjective about a story. And so when I tell people, I said when you're pitching a journalist or a producer or whatever, they have to go through a lens that you don't. You want your story in there. I said, but it's going through a lens that only they have. They're trained with ethics. They're trained um, to make sure that it is sourced. So kind of tell us a little bit about how, I won't say how ethics have changed, but how you have to make it more important for the students to really know and how that is the lens. That's why people, if someone posts something on Facebook, just so Dean Jack, if someone posts something on Facebook and they say whatever they are about how wonderful they are. That's great. A lot of people will just say, oh, congratulations and you know, won this award. But if it's actually in the newspaper and, and it's written about them, that has more credibility. And people say, well, why does it have more credibility? It it was a harder, harder stringent that they had to go through. It was verifiable. Mm-hmm. And that has to do with ethics. And I always tell people there's no, there's no rules for social media. It is media and it could be amplified. But the, but the main thing of journalism is that it has that lens of ethics. So explain how you see ethics today.
2: Yeah. I think that that ethics are ethics. You have them or you don't. You know, the, the way you focus on it is making sure that you're not breaking any basic ethical rules. I can't write a story about someone with whom I am involved or related to. I cannot do a story... Um, where there is some sort of conflict of interest. If I uh, own a company, you know, or, um, and, and even it it goes beyond that. My brother, my late brother, for example, loved the fact that I was a a journalist and he would try to invoke my name to get better service at a restaurant or in a store. (laughs) And I told him, I said, you're going to cost me my job Mm -hmm. because one day he went in someplace and he was you know, raising the roof and they threw him out. And he said, and my sister's an editor at the Washington Post and she's going to make sure that your business goes down in flames. And I just thought, oh, Jesus help me. And so oh, I told him, I said, you cannot use my name to do anything. I can't use my name. I cannot uh, write a complaint about a problem I have with a business on company stationery. Right. I don't call them from the the office phone. I use my personal cell phone to Mm -hmm. call. I use my personal laptop. If I'm going to write an email or a letter of of complaint, Mm -hmm. you don't, you don't mix the two. Um, Mm -hmm. The other thing is that people will try to um, uh, uh, tell you, or or let me back up a couple of things. One is do not try to inflate who you are as a journalist do not try to make your story look like you've got something that you don't. I caught a student uh, trying to pass off a story as an exclusive uh, interview when, in fact, she was in at a at a news, you know, at a at a panel, and then they had a and A afterwards, and she was one of the people whose question was taken by the the key panelists. I think it was like an interview with Bobby Brown or something, and. Um, she had this this little clip that said in an exclusive interview with SGJC, Bobby Brown said, and I said, weren't you at that panel about Bobby Brown? She said, yeah. I said, how did, I said did you get to talk to him separately afterwards? She said, no, no, I answered the question. I said, no, 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 baby. That's not an exclusive. Right. That is unethical because you are portraying. She said, well, how do I get credit for asking a question? I said, you're a TV reporter. If you have in the clip, that shows you standing up and asking Brown a question and his responding, then they know the question came from you. If we have to shorten the clip to say, you know, when asked X, Y, Z, Brown said, but it's yeah. not an exclusive. It's right. not exclusive to you. Everybody in that room heard it. Everybody in the room could use that quote. You don't accept gifts. Your family cannot accept gifts. I, mm-hmm. I worked with a guy who said when he, he covered a, uh, some wealthy guy who had done some philanthropic thing. And the guy wrote him afterward and said, I really enjoyed the story. It was so nice. What can I, what can I send you? And he said, no, you know, no, thanks. Need it. I'm mm-hmm. glad you enjoyed the story. Well, a few days later, this box showed up at home for his wife and it was a pair of diamond earrings. Oh my God. And so he had to send it back and say, not only can I not accept a gift, but my wife can't either, because what people don't understand is at some point you take these gifts You have some lavish dinner. You let somebody, you know, uh, pay for a trip or give you a free, you know, flight on their on their private jet. And then when they don't like the story you've written, they'll say, well, you did not have a problem taking that. Exactly. That gift from me. And so when um, political reporters, for example, when they're riding with a candidate. There is a fee that is charged to be on the bus on the campaign bus and your news organization pays for that slot. You are paying your own way. You take a source out, you pay for lunch and you get reimbursed by the company. You do not accept gifts. Mm -hmm. Um, And you certainly, if you start, if you develop a friendship with a source, then you have to go to your editor and say, I'm sorry, I can't cover this anymore because this, the nature of this relationship has crossed the line from source to friendship. Mm -hmm. And I have a conflict of interest. Mm -hmm. And so, you just, you, they're just basic things that we have to do. And you have to stay on top of that. Um, you don't, like I said, you don't want to misrepresent yourself. You don't um, pretend that uh, if I, if I'm trying to catch you in something, if I fancy myself as an investigative reporter, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I cannot pose as something I'm not in order to get information from you. I have mm-hmm. to follow the basic rules. If we have an off the record conversation, off the record, very strictly speaking, Means that not only do I not quote you with this information, I cannot use this information in any way. I can't take what you told me and then go to another source and say, um, I just got this from somebody. Is this accurate? And then use it. So it's all, you know, based on what um, you've got to make sure you know the rules of the game. Mm-hmm. And, you, and you can't. Um you can't disguise somebody, you can't give somebody anonymity without clearing it with your editor. There's a whole host of things I could go on all day, but the the, the idea is there are basic rules and, and honesty, clarity being upfront. Um I, I think about um what's his name? The Cuomo brothers. Mm-hmm. They had, yeah. you know, when 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 Governor Cuomo was was king of the hill uh for his handling of, of COVID, and they had um one of them got COVID and so they're kind of joshing with each other on the air and mm-hmm. who's the favorite son and all this kind of stuff and that was cute when Governor Cuomo got in trouble
0: oh for my his God, Me Too
2: God. issues all that of a is- sudden now you can't interview your brother. Well, you shouldn't have interviewed him in the first place. CNN should never have allowed that situation to happen. Mm-hmm. That was a conflict of interest when it was fun and right. it was a conflict of interest when it got when serious. It and yeah. then he ended up advising his brother, talking to reporters in the newsroom and finding out what they were getting, what information they were finding out, and then passing it on to his brother. Now, if that is not an unethical situation, I don't that, know what it is.
0: That is. That, that whole situation was very unethical. And like you said, it was fun for a minute. It was like they were joshing back and forth and who's the favorite. And then it, then when the Me Too thing came out, it was like, well, he can't interview his brother Mm -hmm. and he didn't. And we were watching, was like, is he going to say anything? It's like, nope, he didn't say anything. And then it got to the point where it was like, man, it got really ugly. And I really, um, you know, having journalistic ethics is really important. That's why, you know, you can develop relationships with reporters, but not to the point where they're going to do favors for you because they have Mm -hmm. ethics. And, um, you know, NABJ talks about ethics whenever they have their convention. There's just there's there's it's not that it's new, but it just has to be re. Uh, you know, a lot of people have to just be reminded of that 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 whole thing. Even though we have the social media, we got the citizen journalists out here, and we got all of this. You know, I heard something on TikTok the other day, and someone sent it to me, and I was like, I don't know if that's true. Mm-hmm. They were like, well, I heard, you know, like you said, they look like it, they sound like it, they smell like it. I said, but we don't know if that's true. I mean, it was on TikTok.
2: You've got to verify what, that what, stuff yeah. yourself. You yeah, know? verifying that stuff? Like, yeah. really. As, as, as Dwayne Wickham likes to say, uh, there's too much repeating and not enough reporting. Ooh, I love that. You know, I love and, that. And business. one of the things I used to do in the classroom was I would make a student, I would make the students take a story that was in the Washington Post or the New York Times, and I would make them figure out how the publication got the information who to mm-hmm. whom did they speak and mm-hmm. then i made them call the same sources and see if they, get the, same see if they get the same information oh i
0: love that i love that do you know i taught uh, journalism i don't know if, if renaissance was there when you were in detroit but i taught journalism mm-hmm. for a year and um, one of the things that I used to have them do was enter in the journalism class, they so we were at ninth and 10th graders, I would have them interview each other. Mm-hmm. And so they would interview each other for the Michigan Chronicle, because mm-hmm. it, would, it would have a big picture of whoever was interviewed, and then the byline of the interviewer. Do you realize the people who were the people who got the byline, they were like, I don't want to write the story. I want to be the person that has the big picture. I'm like, <laughs> you know what? I said, this is the journalism class. So we're trying to lead the class with clips because this has to do with your grade. But they were so interested in having that picture. But I remember one of the things that would have them interview each other. And then the person who was interviewed, it says, how did they do? And they were like, "Um." I don't remember saying that, you know, just certain Mm -hmm. things like I don't remember. And so they they were editorializing because they knew the person and they were putting in stuff that they never even said. I'm Mm -hmm. like, oh, my God, do you realize we're talking reporters? You report on what's there, not what you're thinking. You're fantasizing of of that sort of thing. When I was in school at Wayne, one of the cases that we had to study was the Janet Cook uh, case of, of her really embellishing a story that wasn't there, whatever it was, whether she had pressure and whatever. But she went on to write fiction. So Mm -hmm. that was a good thing.
2: But I felt so bad because she was a Black woman. You know what I'm saying? I was like, she made it hard for a lot of young Black folks. Oh, my god! uh, Going to the Howard Job Fair and going to NABJ after that. And students coming out of the job fair in tears because Mm -hmm. employers were saying, well, how do I know you're not going to be the next Janet Cook? Yes, And, yeah. and, you know, that, but it's, it's where, this is where confirming stuff, following up, that mm-hmm. what people will tell you is true. As, as an editor, I'm going to look and say, well, wait it a minute, minute. Yeah. this kid never goes to school, but he's eight years old in the fourth grade. You're normally in the third grade at eight. So how did he get to the fourth grade <laughs> missing all his school? Mm-hmm. Right. Um. Uh, the, the, there were just certain things that just didn't make sense. Um, she didn't yeah. see where she describes the, the mother's boyfriend shooting up the kid. And um, I'm thinking, well, so how, where, much, how much can you put into a child? You can't give him the same amount that an adult would consume. And a, a long-term, long-time addict, going to have a different top different tolerance level than somebody who's just starting out and there mm-hmm. were just things that just weren't making sense in the story and then but what finally caught her up was not what, the story what was her prize that she won was no, a, it was she won, a nomination she won it she won the pulitzer right. prize but what caught her was uh the associated press was doing a profile about her oh. and they got a resume and they started verifying the things that were on her resume. She said that she had gone to Vassar, that she uh, had studied at the Sorbonne in France, uh, and that she spoke several languages. So they called Vassar, and Vassar said, yes, she went here for two years, but she didn't graduate, or she went for a year, she didn't finish. Um, mm-hmm. Sorbonne had no record of her ever having attended. So at that point, the reporter from the AP called the poster. and said, look, some of this stuff isn't checking out. Did she return the Vassar under a different name? Um, <laughs> you know, is, you know, is, yeah. cook, is cook her name? Is it her married name? Um, you know, uh, the Sorbonne says they don't have any record of her. Um, and then, so all these things just kind of didn't add up. And so at some point she was in a room with a bunch of editors and, uh her resume said that she spoke all these languages and they had an editor on the foreign desk who spoke like five different languages and they called him in a room and they had him speak to her in several different languages and she could not respond. So oh at that point, God. they knew that, you know, they had had, you know, fallen for a no whole lot life. of fiction. And so an editor took her out and kind of took her for a walk around the block and she finally admitted that she had made it up. Mm, 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 and then you know you look at the, um, what was it? The, the New Republic. Uh, the The uh, Stephen Glass uh, uh, fabricated these stories. And I was talking to. I did a lesson plan where, and I talked to Milton Coleman, who was Janet Cook's editor at the time. Mm-hmm. I talked to uh, the um, the the editor who was Stephen Glass's editor. I talked to editors who dealt with people who either fabricated or uh, uh, active imagination other people's <laughs> work, and they said basically they wrote stereotypes and people fell for it because they were such good writers. They were playing into what we think we know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you, you overlook the missing details because the story sounds so good that you just fall for it, hook, line and sinker. And so the editors miss it. Um, if people don't call and complain, um, challenge you on it a lot of times stuff gets by and doesn't Mm -hmm. you know doesn't get caught um you might like i've used the example earlier if if i interviewed you and you gave me your first name and not your last name and i don't want to admit that i didn't ask you for your last name i might make up a last name for you Mm -hmm. and say pam johnson told me blah, blah 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 and so then the quote is in there and everything and unless you see it and call and say my last name is not johnson
0: it just goes. It'll it just go goes ahead. On.
2: And so, yeah. um, you know, the, you have to follow up with somebody. T- I can tell you that I graduated summa cum laude from Harvard and then I went on to Oxford. and But you have to call those places and make sure I really was there. Mm-hmm. And then when you find out that that's not true, you call me and I say, Jackie, geez, you know, you told me all this stuff about you. But, you know, it, it, it doesn't add up. You know, is there is there some reason? And then eventually you find out what's going on. And, and so when I went to the post, they had a really strict ethics policy and what they had new hires do, you had to sit down with an editor who sat across from you, a senior editor who watched you as you read and initialed each page of the policy. And that editor was there to answer questions if you didn't understand something. Wow. And then you got all the way to the end and then you had to sign not only that you had read it, but that someone was there Mm -hmm. to answer your questions that you fully understood and that you agreed with the rules that were laid out in the policy. Mm -hmm. So then if you tried to come back later and say, well, I didn't know, they got you. And that's why, that's why the post
0: is, and that's why the post is such a respected paper because of the ethics, the high ethics that they have. They know that if it's in there, it pretty much went through a very screening process, strenuous mm-hmm. screening process in order to be published. So one of the last questions I just want to ask. So we're, we're talking about all the different uh, parts of journalism, you know, the multimedia journalists and that sort of thing. Authors, do you have authors that um, you have taught over the years? or Are you yourself an author or you have working on a next book?
2: Well, I wrote a book uh, back in 20, geez, I can't even remember the, <laughs> the year anymore. Um, I had a, a, a career coaching a business. Okay. Where I worked with journalists who were trying to decide whether they wanted to stay in the business and how they could grow, or if they wanted to translate those skills into something else. Yeah. And I wrote a book about um, the seven ways to uh, uh, improve your career. And so, mm-hmm. um, and I, in fact, we were talking about Lavonia Perryman earlier. And she and I have talked about doing a book about uh, dementia. Um, mm, both yes, of our mothers. Um, mine too. Mm-hmm. Uh, dementia uh,
0: is a very, very uh, traumatic disease. I mean, it's like yeah. they're there and they're healthy, but then they're not there because of the, going back right. and forth. And it just,
2: yeah. Yeah. yeah so we've been talking about uh, uh, getting that that done. And now that that her mom has, has passed, um, I'm going to circle back to her. But what we wanted to talk about that, that is seldom addressed is, uh, what, um, what it does to the caretaker Mm -hmm. because you experience feelings that sometimes leave you with guilt. Uh, sometimes you're just overwhelmed and you don't know you want to ask for help, but you don't know where to begin, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) who to reach out to. Um, uh, how you have that conversation with your, your folks before something happens, when you begin to see the little signs of new, African- memory African- lost or, or Especially
0: or, in the African-American community. We don't want to talk about any of that kind of stuff. It's like, Ooh, yeah, you know, you know, I don't know. want to talk about like what's going to happen when or if it's like, then, then we feel like, you know, we're putting that on them. It's like, Oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. It, it,
2: and then you see them change their personality change. And it's kind of like, who are you? And what did you do with my mother, my father? And I can remember having this incredibly stupid argument with my mother, because you forget, you forget this is someone who is not themselves.
0: Right. They don't know.
2: She got mad at me and she cussed me out. And she said, you go to hell. And I said, I'll see you there. (laughs) (laughs) I
0: I just remember one of the things I had a dementia coach There's a coach for everything. And this dementia coach said, when you tell your mother, don't you remember? Don't you remember? And you know, obviously that she doesn't remember. And you're saying this to her over and over again. And you know that she doesn't remember who's crazy.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm crazy. She says, so right. So quit doing that. Yeah. She doesn't know, remember when she, when you ask her, don't you remember? And you're, and you're driving yourself crazy by asking her that. And she doesn't. So yeah. she she said, one of the things she said, just stop it. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Because like, you're okay. trying to
2: hold on. Yes. You know, that, that maybe this is just a momentary thing and then they'll be back to normal. And so, yeah. you know, normal changes with normal changes. time. And so we want to talk about that kind of thing and how you, how you address that. So that's kind of one of the things I on, on the it. burner.
0: I and, will get that book. I will get that book because so many of my friends, baby boomer friends whose parents are still, they may be going through that or just reading about it. You just need to know, you know, what to do and and, and just this comfort and just knowing like I'm doing the right thing. So mm-hmm. yeah, so that would be good. But I will make sure that we do that. And if people want to have more information about you, they can actually go to morgan.edu uh, there and then uh, type in, you know, go into the journalism school and see Jackie there as well, Dean Jackie there as well. But thank you so much for joining me today. This has been lovely. I just really enjoyed talking to you. And we have so many of the same friends mm-hmm. and things like that. Luther Keed, uh Cassandra Spratling. You probably know Angela, you probably knew Angela Henderson and probably mm-hmm. Felicia Henderson. So they're good friends of mine as well. But NABJ is one of the places where a lot of the Black journalists should gather. And I always tell a lot of people too that you don't have to be a journalist to be a part of NABJ. You can go to their convention as an associate, and just really get to know them as people. You'll find that all of them are just really great people you can speak to and learn from. And uh, definitely know that that being in that area, if you have a story, you can help them out. You know, that's mm-hmm. kind of the things I just said, that you just can help people out. So we all work together. So get out there, get known. It's primarily for African-American speakers and authors who um, really want to know how to access the media. And so I just thank you for just joining us today.
2: Well, thank you for having me. This has been delightful.
0: Yes. Yes. I love it. So Jackie, Dean Jackie Jones. All right. And God bless you. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank okay, you. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. bye-bye.
1: You've been listening to the get out there and get known podcast brought to you by Pam Perry where you'll get insider tips on how to build your platform, pitch the media and promote yourself with confidence. Head over to com and get the exclusive video training on the seven must-have marketing materials you need before you pitch. In order to be considered in media places or superstar stages, com where you help you shine like a superstar.